One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be Hey, hey, and happy Black History Month, guys. Welcome to Brie and Friends. I'm your host, Bree Simmons. I do not have a guest host with me here today. There is no and friends, just Brie. Um, and I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about the film Selma from 2014. Now, I know that was now four years ago, coming up on four years ago in December when it was released. Um, and I'll admit, when it first came out, I absolutely wanted to see it in theaters. And as a black woman in America, like it's my duty to see this film. Um, and I missed the boat on that one. Um, and by the time it was released, like on DVD and Blu-ray and even on Netflix for a little bit, I believe, I just avoided it. I, uh, and I, I didn't want to deal with the emotions basically. And the song by itself, Glory, that was written for the film by John Legend and Common, I couldn't even listen to that without tearing up and and whenever you saw them perform it um on tv or even the video i think too as well they have scenes from the film and the actual march uh playing behind them and it just makes it that much more powerful it's powerful on its own but with those images added to it it's just too much sometimes and i just didn't want to deal with it but then i thought about my relatives who were around back then. I mean, this was only 50 odd years ago, 1965, who were around then. And some of them were in the South, but the majority of them were up in Illinois. Um, But they still felt the impact from that. And not just that March, just everyday life. And for them to have lived through that and survived it and come out stronger in the end. Like, you know, I... I can deal with getting a little upset from watching it. You know, they lived it. So um, I'll give a quick synopsis of the film. But what I really hope that I accomplish by the end of this episode is I want you guys to see the parallels between this March in 1965 and just the rhetoric and the vocabulary or dialect, I guess, that they chose to use back then um, about people of color, specifically black people, um, and the parallels between that and today. And I know and accept that things are much, much better now. But when you watch this, you can't help but you know, see the similarities between that and now. I mean, it's way less harsh, obviously, but, you know, we still feel every bit of that today. Um, so let me get into the synopsis of the film really quickly. Um, again, it was made or released, I'm sorry, in 2014. Uh, first in November, I think, for a film festival. Um, and then in the U.S., in December, I think it was Christmas actually that it was released in theaters. 
Um, it's categorized as an American historical drama film. It was directed by Ava DuVernay and written by Paul Webb. And if you can guess from the name, it's about the march from Selma to Montgomery for voting rights back in 1965. Black people did not, we had the vote. We could register to vote, but they made it very difficult in the South. And I'll get to that a little later. Um, but this march took place in 1965. It was led by the C, or I'm sorry, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And um, the people in charge of that at that time anyway, you had MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Jose Williams, and James Bevel. Um, and in the film, David Oyelowo plays MLK. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, Tom Wilkinson is the president, Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, Tim Roth played George Wallace, the governor. And Carmen, I hope I don't butcher her last name, Yogo played Coretta Scott King, uh, MLK's wife. And Common, uh, who did the music, well, the song, Glory, um, played James Bevel. The film opens on King getting his Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. Um, then they jump to a scene where uh, the four little girls who were killed in that church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama, the 16th Street Baptist Church. Um, and if you're not familiar with that event, um, it's it was September 15th, 1963, um, Sunday morning. And these four little girls who were in the 16th Street Baptist Church uh, were killed by a bomb or 15 sticks of dynamite, actually, that was uh, planted underneath the steps. Uh, and it was placed there by four members of the KKK. And so they don't open up with the uh, bomb going off immediately. It shows just like you. If you know what the event is, you know what it's going to be right when you see this uh, scene change. They just show... Four little girls, the four little girls, maybe an extra girl who was with them and a little boy. And they're all just talking and laughing and giggling while they're at church walking down these steps. And they're talking about uh, what it's like to get baptized and how it's not scary. Uh, then they go into a conversation that a lot of little black girls have about hair. And they were talking about how they didn't want to get their hair wet and how they wanted their hair like Coretta Scott King's. Now, I know there really isn't a way to find out what those girls were talking about or what those kids were talking about, but I like that they put that in there just to show the innocence of them and how they were so unsuspecting and, you know, just being kids. And then the next thing you know, there's the explosion and you see through all this fire and rubble, uh, their bodies being tossed and limbs and it's, it's, it gets really real. And they jump uh, to a different scene where Annie Lee Cooper, played by Oprah, is trying to register to vote. Um, now, going back, the bombing, again, it was in 1963. 
um, and they show King getting his prize in 64. But I like that they put that there because King really fought for those girls. Um, and it it just shows you like, yes, he's an esteemed person and he's getting all these honors and awards, but that was in a different country that he received that award. But back home, there's still all these problems. Like even though he's showered in praise all the time, there's still gloom and doom around him. And that's, I'll get into it later, but it's so much pressure put on such a young man at the time. Um, so the next thing they show is Annie Lee Cooper, who's attempting to register to vote in Selma, Alabama. Um, but the white registrar uh, denies her application. Um, she brings it up to him, and you can tell she's done this tons and tons of times. They know who she is. She's like, I filled it out correctly this time, slides it over to him. Um, he gives her these impossible questions. Uh, well, not impossible at first. She had the answers to all of them. He asked her to recite the preamble and then condescendingly said, oh, do you even know what the preamble is? And she just starts going. She didn't give him any back talk or anything. How could she? Like the fate of her uh, rights were in his hands at that point. Um, so she starts reciting the preamble. We the people in order to form a more perfect union, blah, blah, blah. Um, he sees that she knows it and she gets halfway through it. He cuts her off and asks how many county judges there are in the state, I think. Um, she answers 62. And when he was upset that she knew that, he asked her to name them. And of course, she's not going to know the name of all 62 of these judges. And he just stamps the denied on there immediately. And if you look at her registration application, it shows that she was born in 1909. So she's well into her 50s at this point and still isn't eligible to vote. And there's no doubt her parents and grandparents, great-grands helped to build that nation, this nation, and probably even built the building they were in. And yet she's still denied one of the most basic rights as an American citizen. The next scene they show is uh, King talking to the president, then Lyndon B. Johnson. And it just opens with him asking a simple question. Can we get blacks the vote in the South? Can we get them the right to vote? And Johnson's asking him to instead focus on poverty. Um, because that's the big issue Johnson's trying to tackle at the moment. He doesn't want um, to deal with the racial injustice. He doesn't want to deal with all that controversy. He uh, was seen, I'm not sure who this was, um, but he was seen talking to some advisor or whomever before King got in the office and was saying, you know, I'd rather have him. I only want him doing the uh, civil rights movement. I don't need any more radicals like Malcolm X, blah, blah, blah. He just wants to keep things very safe. And, um, you know, he thought he could get King to comply with that. Um, and from what I've heard, the criticism from this film, uh, taking a step back, is that the relationship between Johnson and King 
as depicted in this film wasn't very accurate. Like they, from what I've read, um, I heard that they were more civil with one another. They weren't always arguing and going head to head. Um, but no way for me to actually know that. But I just think, you know, it's a movie. They have to have some drama in it. Uh, but whether those actual conversations happened or not, the what happened happened. Um, so, again, Johnson wants him to focus on poverty, tries to get him to stay on that. Um, and then King brings up all these issues that have come up and the crimes against blacks in the South that are racially charged. And then these criminals go free because they're protected by the all-white leadership in said uh, state. And if they do go to trial by chance, nothing happens because the jury is all white. And the jury is all white because you have to be a registered voter to be on the jury. So, and again, uh, we have the right to vote now, thank God, but you still see this today with racially, obviously racially charged crimes against people and they just go free or claim self-defense, the same that happened back then. At this point in the film, you're only 12 minutes in and there's already so much that has happened and so much realness and so much truth it's just like you you wonder how much more you can take of this film and then it makes you think how did they have to feel back then it had to be so frustrating to get so far and then get set back and again it's similar today but it's nothing like it was then um and I'll get into that as well a little later but it's just the resilience of everyone how he didn't give up um but after that meeting he said, okay, they're not going to do it the way I asked, so we're just going to go to Selma and take care of it ourselves, him and the SELC. They get to Selma, walk into a hotel, and immediately King gets hit in the face by a white man. The, he comes up to him and said, hey, can I ask you a question? And King's being civil. He's like, oh, sure, why not? Guy just punches him in the face, and King does nothing. And even if he had done something, I promise you wouldn't end well. And no one did anything to the guy who hit him. They just let it be. And they also, they jump back uh, to them in uh, Birmingham. And they talk about how the FBI wants to dismantle, quote, dismantle the family by getting to his wife. And we've all heard rumors about that. Um, so they would show the tapes that they would send Coretta or the weird phone calls and messages. Um, and they also had a, and they showed an intimate moment where King calls Mahalia Jackson, um, phenomenal gospel, gospel singer. Um, and they were very close and he called her when he was feeling downtrodden and, you know, just discouraged. So she would sing to him. He said, I need to hear the voice of God. And she starts singing. I don't know how late it is at night, but she wakes up, literally wakes up, starts singing on the phone to him. They get to Salma again, and there's about 700 people in attendance for the SCLC, the uh, conference they have. Um, and it's 
them demanding the vote. Um, just like we have Black Lives Matter today, and it's not completely the same, but they had SNCC back then, which stands for Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And they were set up in Selma before the SCLC got there um, doing some grassroots work. And I think they felt, or at least one of the members they were depicting anyway, uh, didn't really receive King uh, when he came in because he thought that, you know, they were called in to do a better job or maybe he felt like he didn't want any of the shine taken away from him. I'm not sure, but he just wasn't for King at first. Um, but King was seeking help from them to, you know, help them resist and to get the vote. And the idea they came up with was marching because back then they thought marching will put you on the front page of the paper. It'll get them noticed. And then the White House can't ignore them. And today, you know, we have social media, so there's not anything that's not noticed. And I'm not saying there's no strategy behind the way people post things or anything like that. But back then, they really had to strategize to try to get the word out or, you know, get news. So they peacefully marched to the courthouse to register to vote, about 700 of them again, and the first couple of rows, they kneeled down in front of the courthouse and the state, not the state troopers, the sheriff was there, Jim Clark. And he asked them to stand down and to, you know, go back because he was like, you know, you know, there's too many of you. You can't get in here. And King just peacefully stated, you know, we're just here to register to vote. It's our right to. And... Clark came charging through the crowd, beating people with his baton. Um, and he actually, uh, I don't think he knocked him out, but he knocked down this elderly man. And Annie Lee Cooper, again, who's played by Oprah, uh, just hauled off and hit Jim Clark upside the head, just punched him. And... Uh, that, of course, didn't go over well, and she was pinned to the ground, and that was the picture that was on the front page of the paper that eventually did get to Johnson. And from there, King and Johnson had another conversation, of course. There's a quote from Amelia Boynton, who was an activist in Selma. She's talking with Coretta before Coretta goes to speak with Malcolm X. And Coretta's feeling really unsure about everything and concerned about her safety, her family's safety, her husband. Um, and Amelia offers her these words of encouragement uh, to help her feel more confident and sure about everything. So um, Boynton says, I know that we are descendants of a mighty people who gave civilization to the world. People who survive the hulls of slave ships across vast oceans. People who innovate and create and love despite pressures and tortures unimaginable. They are in our bloodstream, pumping our hearts every second. They've prepared you. You're already prepared. And I, I got choked up during that scene, admittedly. I 
it was I watched that scene actually I rewound it two or three times those are just I've been hearing variations of that speech my entire life I've been saying that speech especially more in the past 10 years you know black people we are resilient people and I'm not knocking any other ethnicity but I know what we've been through and I again I don't we're still here we're still fighting we're still we're resilient that's all I can say I don't know what else to say but the quote that she gave it's in our blood and I I just loved it now Coretta meets with Malcolm X um, and if you are not sure who Malcolm X is, he was another civil rights activist and leader, um, but he more of a human rights. Um, he was a Muslim, um, and that's how he got his name, Malcolm X. He changed it to X. His uh, birth name is Malcolm Little. Um, and he was a bit more not I don't want to say radical than MLK but he was more of a by any means necessary sort of man which went the opposite direction of where uh, King was with the nonviolent protests um, so they butted heads a bit um, Malcolm may have said some not so kind words about Dr. King before he met with Coretta like a year or so a couple years before um, and she mentioned that like you know you've said some pretty horrible things and he you know just assured her like I want to help um, and he wants to quote drive whites to ally with King by advocating a more extreme position so Coretta takes this info to King, who is who's been arrested. I'm sorry, I didn't mention that after the uh, demonstration at the courthouse, King was arrested along with others. Um, so she went to visit him and let him know this, and he didn't take it well right off the bat. And Coretta tried to calm him down, and you know. He he calmed down, but I don't know if he actually agreed with, well, agreed completely with getting his help. But they really don't dwell on that too, too much. Um, so along with that, once he's released from jail, or the night he's released from jail, the group wants to organize a night march and the word gets back to the governor George Wallace and he's obviously not about it and he meets with Al Lingo or Lingo and decides we're gonna meet them and you know disband this protest um, and Al Lingo was a uh, Alabama Highway patrolman um, so of their marching at night in the dark and the state troops meet them or the state troopers meet them 
and just start assaulting them immediately. They're they're not really doing anything but walking, literally walking. And these state troopers just disbanded immediately. They run through the crowd, start beating everybody, spraying tear gas. And um, you meet a young man at the beginning of the film who I forgot to mention. His name's Jimmy Lee Jackson. Um, I think he's in his 20s. And he's always seen with his mother and father, his elderly mother and father. Um, and he loves King and loves everything he's about and is always quoting him, you know. He's, uh, he looks up to him. Um, so, of course, they're in this march. So Jimmy takes his parents and he's like, let's run into this restaurant and hide. So they run to this restaurant. It's an all-black restaurant. Not that whites aren't allowed, but who's going to go in there during that time, you know? Um, so they run in a, into the restaurant, sit down, grab menus, and he tries to tell them, you know, just look calm. Everything will be fine. But then the troopers rush in, beat his parents, um, and beat him. And then they shoot him. They shoot Jimmy Lee Jackson, what looks like, like in the stomach. And they just show him falling to the ground and his mother screaming in the background, you know, and that was a very powerful image. Jimmy Lee Jackson did nothing but walk, sit down at a restaurant, and get shot. Um, he was killed, of course. Um, and I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, that was his grandfather and his mother. Um, his grandfather and mother, they're fine. They're alive. Um, of course, they're injured, but they live. Um, Jimmy died of his injuries, the gunshot wound. And the next scene you see is um, Jimmy's grandfather uh, at the morgue, just looking at his grandson, lifeless on a slab of metal. And King walks in and speaks to him and uh, tries to uh, console him and, you know, and his grandfather's just telling him, you know, he loved you. He's, he always spoke highly of you. He's always quoting you. And he decides to stick with him. I think his grandfather's name was Cager Lee. And he sticks with King during the whole movement. Like you see him throughout the movie still fighting with them. And again, that just shows the resilience. This man saw his grandson get shot and killed dead on just for trying to, you know, get his right to vote by doing nothing but marching. And these people, they were so afraid of us back then so afraid of change back then that they were willing to kill before they let any of it happen. And it still baffles me, like, what is the point? And you have to remember, even though you're watching this on the screen, or you're reading about it in a book, all of this actually happened in real life not too long ago in America. 
I don't need to tell you about the countless murders, because that's what they are, that are similar to Jimmy Lee Jackson's that still go on today. Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Katherine Johnston, Sean Bell, Eric Garner, uh, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, like the list goes on and on. And it's a damn shame. Like, you, I, I don't know what else to say about it that hasn't already been said. But again, I'll get more into that later. Back into the film. After all of this happened, um, Johnson accused MLK of causing a scene and getting people killed to prove a point, uh, in more or less words. And King, again, just tells him, we just want the right to vote. Make it happen, and this can all stop. Simple, huh? After that scene, things, to me, got a little awkward. So then they got J. Edgar Hoover involved. And if you're not sure who he is or who he was, he was the uh, first director of the FBI. He got word about the uh, march from Selma to Montgomery, him and Johnson. Uh, So he said, all right, let's release this awkward sex tape. Now... (laughs) I I don't know, this part of the film, it was just really awkward to me. I'm like, how do you go from all of that? I I mean, not that this isn't serious, but like, how do you go from like such a serious tone to a shot of them in their living room, Coretta in one chair by the window um, and King sitting in another chair closer to like a doorway. And it's someone, I don't know whose voice it is over the tape saying, Basically saying, you know, stand down. We didn't want, you know, anything to happen to you or to your family, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like weird moans and grunting from who they're saying is King and some woman. I don't know if they named the woman or not. And it's like the scene is just like it just shows both of them. Like it's a wide shot of Coretta looking disgusted and King looking disgusted and embarrassed. And I don't know if this was supposed to be comedic relief or what, but I will admit I laughed at it when it was over. And he's like, that's not me. And she's like, I know what you sound like. I cackled. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's my only critique of the film. Like, I know that actually, uh, I don't know if the tape sounded like that, but I know that they, you know, sent something like that to him, but I feel like they could have presented that in a different way. It was just weird. Um, but after that, Coretta sort of breaks down about the threats against the family and, how she doesn't want King going um, out to the marsh. She wants him to focus more on the family and she's scared every day because people literally tell her, like call her and tell her how they're going. And they get the letters of how they're going to kill her kids and him. And, you know, it's a lot. And again, they're very young at this point. King is 
in his mid thirties. It's a lot to take on. Um, so King stays behind. Oh, and another moment in here, which was really real. Um, Coretta asks him if he really loves her. And of course he said, yes, you know, um, but he stays behind, um, to spend more time with the family. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, um, that SNCC, the student organization wanted nothing to do with MLK, or at least one of the leaders didn't. Uh, he just felt that King was coming in and taking over and not getting much done. And he, I couldn't tell if it's he didn't want the shine taken away from him or he was just truly frustrated with his work. Um, but one of the members of SNCC, John Lewis, was really gunning for MLK and, uh, you know, stood by him and defended him. And one of the founding members of SNCC said, OK, well, you're going to be marching with King alone and not under SNCC's name. So I guess he sort of threw him out of the organization. Um, and King was not at the march, the first one, actually. Again, he was at home with the family. The first attempt they gave uh, marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, who was a Confederate major, by the way. Um, and the first time they tried to, the state troopers were there and they said we're giving you two minutes to disperse and they calmly asked to speak with the major and the major said nope i've got nothing to say and they didn't wait two minutes to charge into that crowd while riding horses uh, with their guns and tear gas and so on um i don't need to go in detail there um, but after that, you know, some of the members wanted to retaliate with violence and Andrew Young had to calm them down, like letting them know, like, you may have two or three rifles, but how many guns do you think they have? You know, just adding more fuel to the fire. So he calmed them down a bit. Um, someone made a comment as well in the film saying Johnson can send troops to Vietnam, but not to Selma to help out there, to help out here at home. After that failed attempt, uh, King was still trying to push for people like we can't give up. Um, he was he put out a call saying, if you believe all men are created equal, come with us to Selma, white, black or otherwise, clergy, everyone. Um, and at that point, more white people joined the cause. And you had bishops and priests and rabbis coming to Selma to march with them, nuns. Um, and once they you know joined in um they tried to march once again across the bridge and once they got to the end the troopers uh withdrew and i guess it confused them and king and the others they were a little surprised uh and what i thought it wasn't cool that this happened but Again, the resilience. They had some of the members with, you know, bandages on and gauze from when they were injured the previous time. Um, still marching with them. Still saying, you know, I'm not broken. We're still going to fight. Um, so they all kneeled 
and look to be praying silently. And then they got up and they turned and left. Um, and King's reasoning, he said uh, he'd rather have people upset and hate him than be bleeding or dead. And uh, again, you have to remember he's, he accomplished so much uh, in those short 30 odd years, you know, just with this, not even leading up to his death, just up to this point here, he had so many awards and honorary degrees and, you know, and it's like he's got the weight of the world on him, the weight of the oppression of our people on him. You have to understand like every black person, nearly every black person in America was, was standing by King, looking to King for guidance and hope, you know, to get us out of it. And the others were with Malcolm X or both, you know, and that's a lot to have on you. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit. I'm sorry. I keep jumping all over the place, guys. Um, after the first failed attempt with the gas mask and getting beat severely, uh, the attorney for their movement, Fred Gray, um, goes to the federal judge, Frank Johnson, and asks for them to let the march go forward. Um, and President Johnson also sort of demanded that King and George Wallace as well need to just stop, cease their activities. Um, and it's at that point where King calls for everybody to come out and join the cause. Um, and while he's talking to Governor Wallace, uh, when Johnson's talking to Wallace, um, Governor Wallace is saying that uh, black people can't be satisfied. I think one of the quotes he says, first, they want the front seat on the bus. Then they want the right to vote. And I'm like, what? Those are just basic things that everyone should have. It took me so far back when he said, first, they want to sit in the front of the bus. It's like, oh, what the fuck? What? And I, maybe... If I were alive back then, I would understand how that's like, oh, but even now trying to think how that's just like taboo, you know, it's like, what the hell? Um, I'm sorry, I'm not being more eloquent with that. I just have no other words. Um, and what Johnson says that sort of surprised me because he hadn't used this harsh language yet in the film or maybe he did but I didn't notice it but he said to George Wallace one of the first things he says is why don't you let the niggers vote um and the governor thinks that he can't change anything and Johnson wants him to change things uh yeah and yeah <laughs> it's just very it it's stupid um Again, you've got more white Americans in the group. Um, and two of the main players in that were uh, Viola 
Liuzo. I don't want to mispronounce her name. Liuzo, I'm sorry. And James Reeb. Um, and they are there when they make that second attempt to cross the bridge and the troops stand down. They all kneel, pray, turn back around. And a lot of people were saying that, oh, they didn't do anything because we have white people with us. They're not going to, you know, beat us or try to stop it if we have one of their own with us. Um, but later that evening, and this scene was horrible to watch as well. Um, James Reeb was murdered in the streets. James Reeb um, was an Unitarian Universalist minister and pastor and activist. Um, he was very young. He was 38 at the time. Um, may not seem very young to you, but it is. Um, he was just beaten brutally in the street by another white man. He went up to him um, with some very harsh words and language and said, you know, um, he said to him in more or less words, um, since you want to fight with the niggers, you're going to get treated like a nigger does around here and just starts beating the hell out of him, like knocks him to the ground, punching and kicking him. Um, and he died of the injuries in the street. Um, and again, he was only 38 years old. He had a wife and four kids back home. And it's horrible. Um that he had to die that way fighting for our rights because he was one of the people who believed we're all created equal we're all the same we all deserve the same rights um it's a shame um i later found out after doing more research um he wasn't taken to the hospital or admitted to the hospital until like several hours later and they performed brain surgery um and he didn't make it uh and word got back to king and the the way they showed it is uh i think young went up not young i'm sorry um bevel went up to king and said you know uh, we got another injury and he asked who it was and he said it was James Reeb um, and he asked how bad it is and he waited a minute and then he just said dead and King's face just dropped it's like another person you know I don't want to say died on his watch but died fighting the cause with him um, it was two days later he died Reeb they also had a scene where Johnson calls King and King is telling him, you know, it's nice that you call James Reeb's uh, widow, but Jimmy's family didn't get a phone call from you at all, you know. And again, I'm not sure if this conversation actually happened, but, you know, Johnson was, again, going back and forth with him. Um, now... 
Johnson, finally, finally, passes the bill for African Americans to vote in all elections. And a quote he said was, there is no Negro problem, there is no Southern problem, there is only an American problem. And that still stands today. Now, I would hope today that we wouldn't call it a Negro problem. But I know there are some people out there who still freely use the term. Uh, But you can definitely draw parallels to this today. There, no, there is not a black people problem, a Black Lives Matter problem, a Hispanic problem, a Muslim problem, a Asian problem, any person of color. There's no LGBTQ problem. There's only an American problem. When we have people, and I mean, it's, again, I'm glad we have this now, but it is a damn shame it took this long for people to just let people love who they love. It's a damn shame that it took this long for gay marriage to be legal. I'm mad gay marriage even has to be a thing. Why can't it just be marriage? Same reason I was upset with the black people getting the vote. Why didn't we have it in the first place if we helped build this nation? I'm sorry, we helped to build this nation. Um, same thing with women's right to vote. Same thing with any normal civil right that we have to fight for, even still today. Uh, equal pay with women. Um, no person, no matter the color or age, should have to die at the hand of a police officer with a itchy trigger finger, you know? And I, I don't want to start any problems with anyone, but it is what it is. This is what's happening. This is reality. And again, I'm not complaining about the way times are now because I know they are much better. I know that me and my boyfriend, for example, similar to the loveys, we couldn't be together if this were 60, 50, 60 years ago, you know? We could, but it would be risky. I mean, it's a shame. So no, I'm not complaining about the horrible times now. I just want you all to see how history can repeat itself. And things are much better. And Black people are winning and rising to the occasion every single day. But things aren't perfect. I don't know if they ever will be, but I want us to keep striving towards it. Um, sorry, back to the march. Uh, there were celebrities in attendance as well. Um, naming some, there, there was Harry Belafonte, Tony Bennett, um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, same, Sammy Davis Jr., Nina Simone, many more. Uh, so that also got the attention of the higher-ups. And I mean, today we have 
celebrities who are part of, you know, Black Lives Matter and um, fighting for women's rights and fighting for dreamers and immigration and all of that. And it's beautiful. And again, since we have social media, we can do it on a larger, grander scale, get everybody involved and pushing for the cause, you know. Um, But you all already know all of this. I'll stop ranting and rambling. Um, At the end of the film, uh, they have King giving his speech at the uh, Capitol building in Montgomery. And they just pan across the audience and the stage to sort of give you updates on what everyone did. So you had Kajer Lee, who was um, Jimmy's grandfather and he was the first in his family to register and vote at the age of 84. Then you had Andrew Young. He was appointed the UN ambassador under President Carter after serving three times in Congress. Then he was elected mayor of Atlanta twice. Yeah, John Lewis, he served 28 years then, so now it'll be 31 years. That was back in 2014. So he served 31 years as a U.S. congressman for the 5th District of Georgia. George Wallace was a governor. He ran unsuccessfully four times for president and unfortunately was left paralyzed by an assassination attempt in 1972. Jim Clark, uh, the sheriff, was defeated by overwhelming black vote in the next election and was never sheriff again. See how far a vote goes? Still hold true today, guys. And unfortunately, another sad story. Um, The woman I mentioned earlier, Viola Liuzzo. Liuzzo, I'm sorry. I keep mispronouncing her name. Um, She was murdered by some local KKK members as she drove a shuttle back to the airport in Montgomery five hours after that speech was given. Another young woman, she was 39 years old. She had a husband. She was a mother of five. Um, And after doing a little more research, I found out that one of the four Klansmen in the car in the car from which she was sh- the shots were fired from um, was an FBI informant. His name was Gary Thomas Rowe. And he testified against the shooters and was given witness protection by the FBI. And later on, because they had to do something, right? The FBI uh, leaked what were perpetrated as like salacious details about Viola and you know no one knew if they were real or not no one cared but it's like why would you try to run her name through the mud after murdering her for fighting for our rights but why wouldn't they back then you know um I and that was the end of the film. What really got me in the film was uh, not the only thing, but one of the big things, of course, was the music that they chose. 
um, they started playing Glory at the end during the uh, first couple minutes of the credits and I wept. <laughs> that song gets me every time. And during the credits, they were also showing uh, um, photos and video from the actual march while the song is playing. Uh, they also, after that, play this little light of mine. The lyrics to that. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know. Um, and... You know, the symbolism with that is even though you try to diminish them and try to, you know, cut them out, they're going to shine through. They're going to keep going. What really got me about the songs they chose throughout this, the Negro spirituals and gospel songs, is we still sing and believe that no matter what, these better times are coming. All this chaos is happening around us. And still we sing and still we march and still we rise. And, you know, I we're resilient people. Nothing's going to stop us. And we've been keeping this going since we were brought here. And, and I think that's what, not that I need a reminder, but this film also reminded me that... Again, I keep saying this, this wasn't that long ago. We're a very young country. And I just hope that, you know, by the time I have grandchildren, they'll look at what's happening today and even back then and just be gobsmacked or baffled as to how or why that was happening because times would be that much better. It's really optimistic, I know, but you got to believe in something, right? I, you would think that it's just, I don't want to say common sense, but just human nature to not be so evil, because that's what it is. And when you have organizations like the KKK that are still around and have been for over 100 years, but the Black Panthers were shut down quickly. You know, I don't think the Black Panthers have any blood on their hands. The KKK to this day still do. And I I don't understand how or why it still goes on. Maybe just the way we tell our kids about the past and what happened to us and how we're going to overcome and how we need to have hope and faith and just keep fighting and working towards a better day and, you know, working twice as hard. And I know that's a cliche you always hear, working twice as hard to get just as far as everyone else, but it is very true. And maybe the same way we speak those words of encouragement to our children, these members, these racists, bigots speak the same way to their kids about the rhetoric they've been hearing. And I don't know how we can end this vicious cycle, but I just hope that we keep spreading more love 
being more open and receptive to change that over time will be the majority I like to think that we still are I know with our given circumstance our current circumstance and our leadership may not seem like it but I'm still staying hopeful I'm still staying optimistic I'm still staying black and beautiful no one's going to stop my shine living my life like it's golden and you have to think as well when these people were killed um James Reeve and Viola as well it sparked outrage throughout America and when Malcolm X was assassinated same thing when MLK was assassinated I remember my mother and my granny telling me that my granny was devastated just crying watching the news coverage of it it's like their savior our savior was killed and you heard and saw so many people before him pass the same way not the exact same way but they were murdered as well fighting for the same thing he was and fighting with and for him and he was fighting for all of us and look what happened and still we persisted we marched we sang we rose to the occasion like I've been saying this entire podcast I know it sounds really repetitive but that's what it is we are resilient we are amazing people and I I love it I love that about being black in America I can't speak for being black in any other country but I know being black here is hard as hell and it may not seem like it at first I will admit when I was younger I didn't pay much attention to the racism around me or discrimination I grew up in a mostly white suburb in Chicago like all my friends were white or Hispanic mostly white that's what I grew up around I had my black cousins I had my black church family and I mean even then I knew I was black I knew what that meant I knew my history, it was still taught to me, and I'm lucky to have that. Um, But as I got older, I started to see the injustice around me. Like again, when I was younger, I just thought it was back then, that's not happening now at all. There's no way, but it is. And you don't need me to tell you that. Being a black woman in America and watching this film, it hurt, it did. But I think being a black man and watching that film would have broken me even more just because I feel black men have dealt with too much in this country. And that's not diminishing the black woman's struggle or the woman's struggle in general, because we do. But I, I don't know how else to explain it other than what I've been saying this whole time. I've got to work twice as hard to prove myself. I don't do it intentionally. I don't go into a place thinking, well, 
I'm the only black person here, better step my game up. It's just in me to be ambitious and go for what I want and stand my ground and be confident and try to be seen and heard when I need to be. And I hope to continue that tradition on with my children. My parents taught me to be that way. My grandparents taught them to be that way. I'm sure my great-grandparents taught my grandparents to be that way. I recently looked back um, at my family history through Ancestry.com, and I surprisingly found a lot because I don't know if anyone else has tried to search, but finding records on Black Americans past 19, uh, or past the, uh, or before the 1900s, it's pretty hard because we just got, we were freshly free, you know? Um, but looking at the census from my uh, father's side and my mother's side, from like 1860, I think was the furthest I went back. My ancestors were farmers, sharecroppers, um, and the women were uh, servants, not all of them, but I know I saw a servant in one of the senses. Um, housewives or tended to the home and didn't make much money, but still managed to raise and keep our family going. And I mean, again, it's not like I wasn't privy to, you know, any information about my family, but it, it gave me more motivation to just keep working and keep going for what I want and to stay strong. Because if they dealt with everything they dealt with, racism not being, you know, seen as an equal. Um, and again, they were, most of my family after 1930 or so were up in Illinois, but before then they were in the deep South, deep in Tennessee, Alabama, um, Louisiana, like the South. And I haven't talked to these people personally, obviously, but I just know they had to have dealt with racism pretty heavy. And the fact that they survived it and kept our family line going, again, it's resilient. And I don't want to diminish any other, as I said before, ethnicities struggle or story, but I'm just telling you what I know about myself and African Americans. I'm sorry to ramble on like this, guys, um, but obviously this topic is very important to me, and I want to reiterate that this is not just Black history. It's American history. It happened here on our turf, and every American ought to know about it. So I do highly recommend that any and everybody watch Selma, not just Black folks. Everyone, show your friends spread the word if they don't know because I think people need to see this to know the gravity of it and I know it's a movie it may look over dramatized but I assure you it's not if anything 
I'll say maybe the scenes with Johnson maybe were just because I were I was reading articles on it and some of the folks who are still alive uh, from the SCLC were saying that King and Johnson were more cordial towards each other that they weren't so uh, I don't know fighty <laughs> uh, combative is what I'm looking for they weren't so combative with one another but the rest is real really real and really happened to real people like people were burying their children their parents over silly violence and again still going on today just needs to stop but from their literal blood sweat and tears we're able to do so much today i mean look at the cast of this film oprah Hi. I mean, not diminishing everybody else, but she's a very successful African-American woman. Yeah, Common, who's also very successful and influential and plays a major role in uh, the black community. Um, to name some others who weren't in the film. Oh, um, Ava DuVernay. Got to give her a shout out, the director. Um, Madam C.J. Walker, she was the first American woman to become a millionaire. She developed her own hair care line, remember? Um, and she was from, you know, when times were really rough for us. She died. She died in 1919. So um, more recent folks, you have Russell Simmons. I mean, say what you will about him. He's a very successful and influential black man. Let us not forget the Barack Obama, the first black president, which is what I probably should have opened with and not Oprah. But I don't know if you all understand the gravity of that situation. I, for one, and I think this was almost universal in the black community, was ecstatic and terrified i remember the exact moment that we found out he was elected president i was it was my freshman year in college north central college go cardinals um and i was with the bsa the black student association and we were watching the results of the election on election night and when we found out he won i'm gonna give this guy a shout out i don't know if he's listening um Oh, shoot, I don't even remember his last name, but his name's John. He, <laughs> he, at the time anyway, I just thought he was similar to Barack Obama, very uh, buttoned up and upstanding. He was very proper and, you know, almost always all business. But as soon as they announced he won, this man jumped out of his seat and went, Obama, and went running around the room and then we collectively I think ran around the campus like cheering Obama's name it was an amazing moment like I'm getting a little choked up talking about it now like there's a lump in my throat as we speak like it it happened and during his uh campaign I remember I was just so worried like I hope no one tries to I mean knock on wood i hope no one tries to assassinate him i hope no one tackles him i hope no one throws anything up there i hope he doesn't get heckled but i mean the man has been through a lot 
he dealt with a lot and he still came out strong. Um, maybe I'll do a whole nother, uh, show just on Obama (laughs) and how amazing he was and his administration. Um, I mean, big shout out to him for bringing all that music and art to the White House. Amazing. Um, you had Rosa Parks as well, who, I mean, she could have her own episode as well, just from simply sitting down like, nah, I'm gonna stay. And again, like George Wallace was saying, like, first they want the front seat of the bus. Like, God forbid, Rosa that day was just like, nah, bro, I'm gonna just stay here. I'm a little tired. You can keep moving. There's a seat open behind me. <laughs> but shout out to Mama Parks. Um, another guy who's a little controversial, depending on who you are, Tupac Shakur. Um, very influential. I was too young to really get everything he sa- he was saying, but I look back on videos and interviews now and. I haven't heard too many things wrong, politically anyway. His other views, I don't know. But um, other amazing black folks, Kerry Washington, um, Viola Davis, um, Muhammad Ali, rest in peace. Um, everyone's fave, Beyonce. I, I'm not going to get into her music. But she's also done a lot for the movement and the cause. Um, so has Tyler Perry, although I'm not a huge fan of him. <laughs> His shows anyway. Don't kill me. Um, Jackie Robinson, first black player in Major League uh, Baseball. And, and, and that, if, if you've seen the film uh, 42... That's also a big, uh, not eye opener, but it takes you, brings you, snaps you back into reality. Like, shit, this was like a smooth 50, 60 years ago. <laughs> and people were freaking out simply because a black man wanted to play baseball professionally. You know? Insane. Um, but, Again, people who died for the cause helped all those people and me, all of us, along. Um, Sorry to be rambling again, guys. I'm just filled with love for my people. (laughs) Try and introduce you guys to all this black excellence. I might have to do a separate episode on it. Um, just counting down all the people and the achievements. I mean, we're going to need more than February, but don't worry. There'll be more shows similar to this one every now and then. I know I like to joke around and kid around a lot, but we got to get a little serious sometimes. And this is one of those times. I know we sort of lost our way a little bit. And I know I started ranting and rambling a little bit, but if you stuck in there, thank you so much for listening. Really and truly, I appreciate it. And you can get updates on new episodes that I post if you subscribe to the SoundCloud. 
at Bree and Friends, B-R-I ampersand Friends. And you can also find me on Apple Podcasts, if that's your jam as well. You can also follow the show's Instagram to get some behind-the-scenes action. And that is Brie in Friends 90. And that's just B-R-I in Friends 90. Um, you can also find the links to my personal Instagram, my music Instagram, and the show's Facebook page as well in the description box. Thanks so much again, guys. Happy Black History Month, and I will see you next heavens, week. No man, no Bye-bye. Weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become black.